going on, Team Age community? Welcome to another episode of the Marketing Careers Podcast presented by themarketinghelp.co, your number one resource for practically advancing and accelerating your marketing career. Let's first start by thanking our premier sponsor, LinkedIn Learning. Listen, now's a good time to get started on some of that leveling up of your marketing skills. And uh, we've done all the hard work for you. We've curated the list of courses that matter. If this is something you're looking to do, why not now? And head on over to themarketinghelp.co forward slash LinkedIn Learning. All right. Getting into another great Marketing Career Moments episode today, and this is where we hear from marketers about their career path, uh, what they actually do in the role, but also tips on how you can be successful in a similar path or role. Today's guest is Justin Silva. Now, he's the Director of Media Strategy and Planning at Comcast, and I worked with Justin a a couple years ago uh, at an agency, and it's been great to watch him develop from when I knew him, which was the eager social media intern, did a great job, to now a director level role at a billion dollar media company. So great to watch that uh, that happen. Now, you're going to hear from Justin on how he leveraged his network and some strong encouragement from his mother uh, to actually secure his first dream job, which was to work for a digital agency. Now, the greatest tip I think he shares uh, in this episode is uh, his approach on how he got promoted Uh, in his career. And not only the promotion, but how that actually helped to impact his salary. Obviously, you know, get promoted, you make more money. So listen for those great tips uh, from Justin today and make sure to check out the show notes because you're going to want to connect with Justin after after hearing this episode. And there could be some other great marketing career resources for you there too. So let's get into it. Here's my conversation with, I think, the social media strategist you need to know, and that is Justin Silva. Hey, fellow marketers, welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Careers Podcast. And we are here today with Justin Silva. Justin, welcome to the episode. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so so a couple of things as we were talking, you know, when we uh, were scheduling you for this interview, I was excited because I've been able to watch you, at least from when we first met, navigate what I thought was pretty, pretty intuitive, I think pretty genius how you navigated uh, to work in social media and then get to where you are today. So this first part about career path, uh, let's get it started by just talking about, you know, where you started and how you ended up in the role you're in today. So go as far back as you want, but whatever those moment or the moment was where you got into, uh, into to marketing social media and what you're doing today. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for me, a lot of it's, you know, great timing when I was sort of coming into my career with, with great technology, but I guess a great place to, to start is, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, um, decided to come up north to Villanova for college. So I'm at Villanova, uh, you know, go Cats. Uh, <laughs> I am going there. I'm a marketing major. I knew I wanted to do marketing. That was pretty straight. Um, it's my senior year. Uh, it's first semester. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do marketing. I'm like waiting for, you know, the recruiters to come to campus. We would joke if you you were an accounting major at Villanova, like if you had a pulse, like you had a job by probably Christmas because it was just nice. that easy. Yeah. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, all right, what am I going to do? I had some internships. I had a sales internship. I knew that that wasn't for me, which was important to establish. Just, you know, I didn't see that in my future, immediate future. So I had a course first semester, um, digital marketing, which looking back now, like, you know, digital marketing, this is back in 07, you know, had a textbook somehow. It's like what I remember what was in there, how it could have been accurate or or up to date. But we had a guest speaker um, who I think you might even know, Alex Cohen. um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't know the guy, right? So. Uh, worked at Refinery. So he came in, he talked about what he was doing at the time, like digital analytics, paid search, SEO. And I was like, wow, like this seems really cool. Kind of got me excited. So that was brewing. 
I go home for winter break and my mom just ripped me because she's like, how have you not applied for a job? And I'm just like, mom, there's no one coming to campus. And she's like, I've paid for three and a half years of education. Like, you need to find a job. Like she just lights a fire under me literally just to get her off my back. I put my resume on every site you can imagine over winter break. Nice. And in my mind, I had this dead set that I, I wanted to work in New York. Like I'm in marketing, you know, want to go advertising like New York, like that's the place to be, right? Like you got to go, you know, big leagues. So I'm sitting home on winter break and I get this email from a recruiter that had described my resume at Monster and LinkedIn, who knows? And uh, I look it up. It's a little place called GSI Interactive. I'm like, oh, let me look this up. It's in King of Prussia, PA, right? So as you know, you, you, were, you yeah. were there at the time. Right. King of Prussia, not exactly New York City, right? Going to, going to the mall food court for lunches. Not exactly the hustle and bustle of, of New York City. So I, I put on the back burner, but it was this great program. It was, it was this intro program. You get you know, rotation through the business. You learn all about all these different sides of digital marketing. But I was like, man, this would have been perfect if it was New York City. So finally, after a few weeks, I'm like, what, what am I doing here, right? Like, this is a great opportunity. Like, I need to seize this. So I applied for that job. Uh, I interviewed with, with yourself. Um, it, even during it, I think there's something like a few hundred applicants. I'm one of a few finalists, and, and I, I get the job. So I'm there my first year learning about the different parts of the business. I mean, you remember, it's like big clients, um, yeah. Dick Sporting Goods, NFL, NHL, GNC. It's just great. Like, you know, working at agency right out of school, I... I I recommend it for everyone. I think it has to be the stop number one. I mean, there's no other place where you could get so much day-to-day -day experience for big brands, you know, probably undeservedly, right? You're just so young. You don't even know. You're learning how to like use Excel correctly and like Outlook and like not email your friends all day and like, you know, just, you know, pass along. But um, I started working there. So I love it. I would say I gravitated first towards paid search. So I'm sitting there about a year now. It's, it's, it's you know, 2009. I look around the agency. I'm like, wow. There's people that have been doing paid search now at this point, like 10 years. They're an expert in the field. I'm just a year in. Like, I'm never going to surpass them, you know, in knowledge or, or where I'm at. Um, so at the same time, this is when Facebook starts taking off. You know, in, in 09, I believe they open up to post-college grads. Facebook pages start in 2010. Twitter starts blowing up in 2009. So I start gravitating towards that. You know, I, I remember you at the time, we're just, we're just getting into it. So we start convincing our clients, you know, that, NFL shop, NHL shop, GNC, like, hey, let's start, let's start Twitter accounts. Let's start Facebook pages. And it's just like the Wild West. And I look back on it now, like <laughs> the things I did, like that would obviously never fly now. Nope. Um, you know, a lot of like clickbaity stuff or like crazy contests and sweepstakes that, you know, may or may not be legal these days. Who knows? But man, it was exciting. And I just, I just loved it. It was like a sponge. I couldn't get enough of it. I was reading every white paper I could, attending every webinar. I was like eating up the Gary V's, the Chris Brogans of the world. Everything I get my hands on, I think there wasn't an article article that went up on Mashable that I didn't read within like the first 10 minutes. So I was just, I was loving it. You know, we were pushing it with clients as, as far as it can go. Um, but at this point, I think, you know, you know, for every great career, you kind of have to take stock of like, okay, like, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? I don't think at the time the agency was ready to really go head over heels into social media. We were a performance-based agency. People, you know, were looking like, where's my 10 to 1 ROI on, you know, paid search or affiliate marketing. So my next stop was I went to an agency called the Archer Group in Wilmington, Delaware. So quite the commute, but I was their first social hire. And I start there and um, had a few banking clients, but their big, but their biggest client was Wawa. Mm. So I started and, you know, obviously you're in the Philly area, like people just live, breathe, Wawa, great, great partner, um, great client. So I take on all of their social media. So 
for two years, I'm just, I'm, I do it all. They're a very hands-off client. I was writing the copy. I'm doing all the customer service. I'm taking images. I'm running contests. I'm doing the analytics. I am just like living and breathing the social media manager life, you know, like five hour energies to the max red bulls, you know, like working seven days a week on vacation. I remember being with my family in like Mexico and Cabo trying to get a connection. Cause like, I didn't either, I didn't have anyone. I didn't trust anyone to, you know, like post in real time. And like when you're a social media manager, you just have to like live it and breathe it. And, and at the time I loved it. I was, you know, early twenties, I wasn't married yet, no kids. And I was just absorbing everything and everything I could. And I look back on it now as like, wow, like it was nuts to put in that much time. Um, was it worth it? What was I getting? I wasn't sure if the ROI, but I, it was such a great learning experience. I mean, one, just to wear all the different hats and just, and just make things work. I mean, teaching myself things like Photoshop and how to take a good iPhone image and how to do GIFs and things like that before it was like an everyday thing or there was all these apps. Um, it was great. So for two years, I was the only social person. And luckily we built up that business and we built up um, some other social clients, I was finally able to take on some staff and interns and full-time hires and um, finally got some great experience managing people. But um, agency life was great. I mean, I recommend it for, for anyone just starting out. I think, especially earning your career, I think you have to do it. I think it pays dividends, not only learning, but down the line when hopefully, you know, maybe one day everyone's on the client side and then you kind of know how to work with agencies. But I did that for about six years. So the commute real, real quick before the, so the agencies uh, span that you have here, which is interesting, but I remember there was a, a, a way that you got that job at the Archer group and it was, it wasn't in a networking connection or you, you went to a uh, like a one day conference or something, you met somebody. So tell that story about how you actually found that next agency job. Yeah. So I, I had went to a talk, um, Lee Michaels uh, was one of the owners and founders of the Archer Group. He wrote a book on social media, um, him with some of the other um, partners at Archer. And I went and heard him talk and I just, you know, connected with him and, and you know, tell him I kind of had a, a lot of love for it. Um, then turns out, and then like kind of the whole world small, my, my wife at the time was in um, the nonprofit world working for a um, um a nonprofit in Delaware. And she also had some connections, um, people that knew Lee Michael. So it's sort of like everything sort of come full circle and I keep in touch with them and um, just asking them kind of like, Hey, what should I do? He said, Hey, like we have this with this great opportunity. Um, so kind of just, you know, everything just serendipitously just works out. So it's like you were following your passion and that led you to a conversation at this event that turned into a networking opportunity that turned into a job offer. Job, so yeah. Learning being that the, while you did use the monsters and the career builders to get that first look by a recruiter, as you built your career, you took advantage of the opportunity to follow your passion, which led you to a networking, which led you to your next job. So you're at the Archer Group, and then talk about the transition on how you went from Archer into uh, where you're at now at Comcast. Yeah, so I, I was there for, for six years. In that time, um, once I spent a lot of time in the car, commuting down to, to Wilmington from, from the Philly area. Um, but I, I got married, you know, got a dog, moved to the suburbs, um, had my, my first child. So at some point when I think when you sort of transition your personal life into, into that to phase two, if you will, kind of like the shift from like college to married life, starting a family. You know, I think a lot of people agency life and the idea of like, you know, hours being all over the place and kind of always being plugged in 
and you know just just the day-to-day grind of it um it becomes a little less appealing i would say so i i looked around and and i've always loved this area my wife loved this area so i wasn't like oh i'm gonna pick up and we're gonna move to like california or something crazy like that so i wanted to stay in the area but i was like you know what i think i'm just i'm just ready for that that next phase and but i was i was a little scared because i mean the great thing i work at an agency is i felt like wow like no two days are the same you get to work with all these clients I love the thrill of a pitch and sort of trying to win new business. That that's always great. And I was like, God, you know, everyone paints the, the client side as like, oh, you're gonna go and like you just work on one thing and like it's soulless and like you just collect paychecks and that's like all you have. And so I I, I had some of that worry um, in my head, but the opportunity just sort of arose and it, it came up. And I was, I saw at Comcast they were hiring on the residential side of the business um, a sort of head of of paid social on the media side. So media and paid media had been a part of what I did at the Archer Group. I would say I was, I was much more and much more passionate about the creative side of the business, like coming up with the post copy and thinking about, you know, how do we show hoagies in a fun way and how do we, how do I interact with people? And, and that was definitely my passion. I mean, I would say my favorite parts looking back, were just like sitting in a room with our creative director and just writing, you know, ideas on a whiteboard and just trying to bring them to life and then pitching them, you know, two days later to the client and getting that yes or no, like that thrill. Uh, I, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to miss that. But I feel like I'm right for this next step. So even though it was very, it was pigeonholed in media, I was like, you know, social, I love social. I know it's just one part of what I do now, but let me just get my foot in the door at this company. It's this massive company and, um, you know, the rest will take off. So I, I get the job. Um, I start, I would say the first few months, I was sort of this like, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is the right decision. This is so different you know, agency, it's like, you know, there's the foosball tables and there's the keg and like, you know, it's just like this whole camaraderie and like everyone's, you know, like, or like your age, like where you are in life, it seems like. And now I go to the client side. And um, at first I was like, oh, you have like a lot of regret. And it's like, you know, everything's a lot different, but I soon came to love it. And all my fears, I would say, I look back at now and I almost laugh of like all the things of like, wow, you know, it's, it gets boring that you work on just like one thing or like things move so slow, like couldn't be more wrong. And I'm not saying it's like that at every client, but especially where I am on the business with, with Comcast and Xfinity. I mean, I feel like, you know, no two days are the same. I'm working on so many different product lines, different businesses, you know, there's new products, there's, you know, re-engaging customers. There's so many different aspects that I think people sometimes just paint this, like this gloomy image of, of client side and like what your life's going to be, but all, all those fears couldn't be further um, from the truth. And where do you find the dynamic nature inside of, you know, the in-house role at Comcast? Is it, uh, is the get to work on different business every day being replaced by dealing with different challenges, working with different departments? How, how, how do you find the excitement in the in-house role? Yeah, I think it's a few things. One, I think um, just the nature of social media is that it's sort of inherently, right? Like social is constantly evolving. Two years ago, no one's talking, 18 months ago, no one's talking about TikTok. Right. No one's talking about new features. So inherently what's great is that social media is just constantly reinventing itself. And I feel like evolving in, in real time. So that keeps it fresh. But yeah, I would say on uh, in my line of work, yeah, that you're working with so many different people across all different parts of the organizations. Um, at Comcast, especially, I mean, they own so many different companies. So you look at Universal and NBC and you're, you're partnering a lot of times, but even just the, the day-to-day business, I mean, every, unless you're like, you're selling maybe like rice or beans or something, every, every product out there in service is probably evolving, especially in this world now, COVID and internet changing. Um, 
things are just, you know, constantly moving that I, I get excitement out of that. Yeah. And just the the goals you have to hit and just the challenges are different, right? You're in the client on the agency side, you're trying to win new business, you're trying to get your client happy. Now you have things like, you know, more sales goals you're hitting and you're talking about how's this how's the stock move and different things, you know, maybe a little bit longer term, but you know, different challenges, but to me the same thrill. Got it. So so in your your time at Comcast, you've had a couple of, of role changes or promotions, if you will. Now you're at director level. So what was your what was your well, what are your tips in terms of navigating that internal progress from the, the, the job you start and then the job you end up with? And what are your tips for getting promoted inside of a larger enterprise? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. I would say, you know, to me, when you get to a large company, um, you know, there are plenty of people that probably just come, they work their nine to five, they go home, they live a great life and they're fine with that. And I completely respect that. What I love about a big company is that if you're willing to grind, if you're willing to take initiative, if you're willing to raise your hand and say, hey, I'll take that on, uh, give me more to work on. Hey, there's a new thing over here. How do I get involved? I feel like truly it's a sky, the sky's the limit. I'm sure, you know, I know it's like that at Comcast. I'm sure it's like that at big companies. There's no shortage of work. There are a lot of people working, but there's always no shortage of work. So what I love is that if there's something you're passionate about, it's probably pretty easy to get involved, even if it's maybe outside your, your day-to-day or even like your scope. Um, I was lucky that I had a manager when I started there um, who pushed me. So I started, you know, just paid social. That was my thing the first few years. Just be, I, I, listen, I want to be the go-to person for social media across this organization. People think about social and be like, you got to go talk to Justin Silva over at Comcast. I don't care where you worked in the company. That That's what I want to build myself. So I built, I was building towards that. I, I was definitely getting there. I, I feel like I've established that. My boss was really like, hey, you want to be known for more things than just social. Like, that's great. But obviously, like, the marketing landscape is much bigger. All those things. You, you don't want to be pigeonholed. I was like, okay, that, that's a great point. So I started gravitating towards a lot of our, our partnerships that sort of social was then intertwined in. So things like gaming and esports, which are crucial for our business, you know, selling internet. Uh, we had a big, we have a big partnership with NASCAR. We do a lot of sports sponsorships, partnerships. We do a lot of things with music, um, whether it's like a Pandora or a Spotify or award shows, things like that. So I started to get more and more involved with that. And then what's also great about a big company too, things constantly change. There's reorgs, people leave. I just like over time, I just quickly picked up more and more responsibilities. Hey, this person's leaving. Like I'll, I'll take that on, you know, reorgs are happening. Like, Hey, can I maybe get my hands a little dirtier and things like this? So over the last about five years, I've just sort of evolved my role where I still have my sort of day-to-day paid social. I still want to be that, that expert, but I've been able to touch a lot of other things in digital mar- marketing and now um, partnerships and content. Now, did you find the advancements or did the advancements find you? Meaning your manager wanted you to you know, push yourself to get promoted and said, hey, Justin, you should consider this. Or was it you going to them saying, hey, uh, I'd like to be considered for this opening uh, you know, at the next level? Yeah, I would say um, a little of both. I would say that just like picking up responsibilities, that was probably a little my own, but even more just my manager. Like, hey, like, I know you probably don't think you could take on anymore, but you should really like, you know, start working on this. And it's like, all right, like you, you feel like you never know you can get that next level until someone sort of pushes you over that edge. And I felt like um, that's where I've been, but it, it's, it's definitely a combination. Again, I think you have to be willing to put in the work. Um, and one thing I've really learned too, is that you have to be your own champion. I think that's another big thing. Um, you know, when I'm at an agency like the Arch Group, and it's when I started, it was about 40 people. When I left, it was probably about 60 to 70. 
you know everyone, you know what everyone works on, you know exactly, you know, when something good happens, big happens, you sort of know exactly who was involved. At a big company, um, I've learned really that just doing the great work is not enough. You have to be willing to do the great work, but then also make sure people notice it. I don't mean it in a, in a selfish sort of egotistical way, but you, you have to be the one that's going to go and be like, hey, like, I want to get in front of senior leadership and present this. I want to let people know that I've come up with this new process that now saves us money or saves us time. And um, you have to be sort of your, your own best cheerleader. I've had, I'm lucky that I've had and still have great managers that are willing to do that too. But if you're not making yourself that priority every day, I, I don't know if anyone else is going to you know step up for you. I love it because I can even say when you were working at, at GSI as an intern, I saw those traits in you early where it was, you were passionate about this thing called social and you knew it had a spot and we all know it had a spot with our clients, but you, you nailed it in terms of, uh, you know, performance uh, first, branding second, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but um, when you were passionate about something, you found a way to get it done. So not surprised that it got you to where you are today, but what a great tip for anybody who's sitting back waiting for the promotion when the reality is you can control your opportunities as it relates to advancement by just doing exactly what you said. Um, when you think about interviewing for a company like, like Comcast, so I'll translate this to, to those listening where, you know, any marketing role, especially agency or, you know, a coveted role at a, at a, at a big name brand, tons and tons and tons of applicants. And, you know, what was the thing that you think was able to get you hired inside of Comcast? Now, again, transferring it to those listening that may be looking to do a similar path. Was there something you did in your preparation? Was there something you did in your follow-up? What, what do you think was the, was there a certain tactic you did that you think helped get you that job? Yeah, I like to say like my resume just knocks people off their socks and, <laughs> and that's what does it in my great personality. But so I, I've had, you know, three, um, three big roles in, in my career, different companies. And I would say each one, I knew someone that was already there. So my first job at GSI, um, the, the program I was in, the rotational program, it was the second year, the first year, a Villanova grad was part of it. I, I, I knew her from some, you know, clubs and things I was involved in at, at Villanova. The Archer one, I told you, you know, made a connection there with the owner. Mm-hmm. And then at this one, um, we had a former colleague, Shannon Garrett, um, who worked us at GSI, who was on the media team at Comcast. And I didn't know when the a recruiter approached me, I was applying, but just doing my research, I was like, oh, let me see if I know anyone. I see Shannon. Hey, call up Shannon. Shannon, like I'm interviewing, like, I know we didn't work, you know, too close together at GSI, but like, here's what I've been working on. So I'd say the first thing is that in this world, more than ever, it really is like who you know. I think, you know, you still have to close the deal yourself. But I would say, um, I hate when people sometimes just email me at like right now, I'm actually, ha- we're hiring for a role on, on the team. And just like, if someone's just like, hey, here's a resume of someone, they leave it at that. I'm like, they're not even really endorsing <laughs> this person. So I would say it's about who you know, but then it's empowering them to want to stand up for you. Yep. Because no one wants to put their neck out for someone who then either doesn't work out well or it's just an awful interview or someone's like, oh, it's a waste of time. Like, how could you vouch for them? So I would say one key piece of advice is any any job you want, you probably have some weird inroads, whether it's directly or like your parents, best friend, or like your neighbor's uncle or some some sort of crazy connection. I think that's important these days. But then you have to empower them with why you should be hired. Like that, that sometimes just blows in mind. People just think like, oh, because I just forward a resume along, like I'm just going to give them special treatment. And Listen, I'm going to look at it, but I want to know, like, why, why should I consider this person? If it's just like you casually know them and that's fine, but I, I, I want to hear more. So I say that's a, that's a big part of it. 
And then it's just doing your homework. I mean, anytime I interview, I get the names of who I'm interviewing. I, you know, being in social media, I go deep. I want to find their LinkedIn, their, their Instagram, their Facebook, their Twitter, anything I could possibly find. Um, just see one, is there like common connections or things I could bring up that are a little more casual? Um, you know, sometimes talking about your experience is great, but when you kind of drop in that nugget that, that lets them know that you know, that you sort of did your homework, right? If I like talk about a social campaign and mention something they love because I saw it, they mentioned it on their Facebook or something like that, or, or they, they want to wear a vacation on Instagram. Like, I, I don't consider that like, oh my God, it's weird, creepy stalking. I, I consider that just doing your homework. So I think it's doing your homework on, in that way with who you're going to talk to, but then also knowing the company. I mean, when, when I talk to people and I, I've, I've hired a lot of people being in social, as you can imagine, a lot of kids like first job out of school, first or second job. So I, I feel like it's a, it's a different type of game, but people just don't understand the fundamental parts of the business. Like, what are you trying to sell? Why, who your, who your customers, who are you going after? Tell me something that we've done before that you've liked, that, we, that critique something we've done that you've seen. Just like basic questions that people I could tell just, just don't know. So like, that just tells me like they read a job description and they've just shown up and they've done nothing else. So I always want to make sure that I go above and beyond, take a lot of good notes, um, make sure I have some pre-nuggets ahead of time. I would say that's that's the big thing is that when I go into an interview, I want to know, okay, what are, what are the key things I'm trying to highlight that I've done? And I want to be as specific as possible. So it's not just good enough to say like, hey, I used to manage all of Wawa's social media. That's great, right? But I want to be able to say like, this is many, this is many fans it was, fans and followers. I was managing 5,000 interactions on a weekly basis that I was hand delivering to. We were publishing, you know, on average 30 posts a month that would require 500 engagements. Things like that, you get real specific. I, one, I think that's impressive. And it just shows that you're not just having things on a piece of paper that may or may not be true, right? Because that's the hard part. In an interview, you're taking this person at face value. There's no real life fact checking. This isn't a presidential debate, right? Where like Twitter's like real time fact checking you. So the more specific you could get and kind of have that talk track practice in your head before time, I think that's important. Nice. Now, I noticed in your LinkedIn profile that you called out some of the presenting and speaking that you had done. Now, was that a conscious choice to your point about being the social media, wanting to be the social media go-to? Or is that something that just kind of evolved out of someone asking you one time to say, hey, uh, Justin, can you do a presentation on social media? Because uh, because the question here is, how much of a focus was personal branding to you? Uh, and this is, you were doing this for almost 10 years. So how, how big of a focus was that early on to say, hey, I want to establish some level of personal branding as I go on into my next job? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Early on in my career, I was definitely, you know, when you look at like the Gary Vee's in the world, I was like, God, I need to be out there and like tweeting all the time and doing all this. So I would say early on, I definitely made a conscious effort for two reasons. One, because I thought like that is what you do to be in social media. Like you have to use the platforms to their highest potential, which I still think is true in some right, but I don't know if you have to go you know, crazy out there and, and just be like publishing 24 seven. So I was doing it because I thought that's what we had to do. But also I was like, I need just to practice. So, mm -hmm. you know, going presenting, I've, I've done so many college talks. I've done so many, um, you know, things like um, trade associations. I spoke at the Delaware Chamber of Commerce, things like that. It just, I just want to get those reps. I view those as like, um, one, I feel like they're, one, I like, I still to this day, like public speaking, I freak out like right before it's like you get that like rush like oh my god what am I doing like almost sick to my stomach but then afterwards you're done you feel great but almost just to like again get, get those reps so when I knew it was like a much higher stakes situation presenting in front of a CMO a job interview whatever I felt like I could then pull on that experience 
I've been lucky in that obviously social media is a hot topic. Uh, every you know college, you know, most professors probably don't know enough about it to teach it. So I love guest lecturing, but even that is great. It, it caused me to always be looking for examples to talk to, you know, filling decks with not just my work, but I want to be like, hey, what's top in the industry? When people stop me, I'm like, oh, what's a great social media campaign? I always want to make sure like I, I was ready with with things top of mind. And and that's preparing those presentations and putting in the hours was a great way to to make sure I was doing that. And that's that's a I love the get the reps uh, mindset because you think nowadays, right? So people that you're interviewing for social media roles now, how hard is it to get that speaking opportunity? Not very hard. You know why? There's a thing called Clubhouse where anybody can go and speak in front of a quote unquote virtual stage, but it's a rep to get your articulation down of your thoughts in a clear, succinct way. So anyone listening, it's almost as if, you know, you don't need to, it isn't, you know, fighting to get on stage somewhere, but you look at where the opportunities exist for you to, you know, get a platform, whether it's virtual or in person, um, to just talk about what you're passionate about, talk about your craft. Uh, Because like you said, there's always somebody out there that doesn't know how to do what you do and would love to have somebody uh, speak to their class, you know, alumni services, chambers of commerce, I think that was a great step for you because when I looked and realized that you've been doing it for that long, yeah, I, I think that was a, it has to be a huge plus when it comes to not just the job you're in now, but the next job and the next job because of you know, your focus on that aspect of your personal brand. I'm always incredibly critical. I feel like in work environments, when someone that's in, supposed to be in a senior role gets up in a meeting or like a big, you know, uh, town hall or something and just doesn't have great presentation skills, I'm just like, wow, like, how can you be a VP, executive VP, SVP, whatever, and not and not present well? And, and I'm and I'm certainly not there either now. But again, like you have to give yourself. If you're just like waiting to present all the time at work, especially in a big company, that might that might never happen. Like yes, there's like smaller meetings, but to get in front of 50 people, 60 people, 100 people, it's not as easy to come by. So you know, unless you're just like Superman and like you're not going to get nervous <laughs> over that, most people your heart's going to start skipping, right? You're, you're yeah. going to feel it. So to practice, to be able to just to answer questions off the cuff. Those are skills you have to really get good at. And that's where, you know, now when you're in a meeting and your boss's boss comes back at you to like justify getting a million dollars spend or did this campaign do, do, you know, well, yes or no, you can now pull on those experiences because, Hey, like you've been on a list of some sort of pressure cooker of you were in a room of a hundred people and someone asked you a tough question and maybe you had to stumble through it, but you succinctly gave them you know, some, something good takeaway. So I, I always, you know, playing sports my whole life, I always look at it like you need to be practicing. You yeah. can't just hope that when the lights are brightest, you're just going to show up and nail it. You, you need to get in there and, and get it. Nice. Um, so when you look back at, I'll go in two stages here. When you look back at your first, you know, call it uh, the GSI to your agency days, biggest mistake you made in your career in the agency days? Ooh, um, I would say... Looking back on it now, I was at times I was just like too in, invested in my ideas, and when the client wouldn't accept them or like we wouldn't <laughs> go through with something, I just I took that so hard. Yeah. I think again with like a sports mentality, it's like you equate everything to like winning and losing, and, and I would just, uh, especially early on, I would take that like it would be devastating. I would just be like salty about it and and sometimes sour. I think um, now being on the client side and seeing like how many things go into a decision that you may have no idea about being like, you know, this lower level person, even on the agency side, that just never trickles down to you. I, I, I laugh, but I definitely took a lot of those things um, probably way too hard. 
which, which I think speaks to your passion for the topic, but understood, but you just didn't know how things worked. Um, which is, I think that's a, that's a normal reaction for anyone who's passionate. When I see that, because I remember seeing that in you and I've seen that in others in roles that I've hired for, it does take a moment to just help educate them on the process and, and not to take it personally. Now, focus on when you had a team under you and as you're building a team and working more collaboratively with in-house marketing teams, what's been that biggest mistake slash learning? Um, what's hard is when you're, when you're first building a team, it's definitely, especially when I was doing everything hands-on for two years by myself, it's, it's, you gotta, you gotta let things go, right? You have to teach other people to do the work. You have to trust that you've hired the right people. That's really hard to learn your first time being a manager. There's definitely, there's no college class on that. There's no internship that obviously helps you with that, that like takes something, especially in social. I've never met a social, you know, social community manager, social media manager that doesn't think of their community, whatever their handles as like their baby. And that's what it feels like. So to now like, okay, I'm going to go from living and breathing this day to day doing all the content, all that stuff to like, I'm going to bring someone else on. I'm going to trust they're going to be able to have the right brand voice or say the right thing or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, that takes a little time. And I think early on, especially you still want to hold on to like, oh, I'm going to do things myself or like, you won't, you won't let people make some mistakes. Again, like I've, I was working with a lot of people, first job out of school, first, second job out of school. You have to let people sort of take their bumps a little, um, put some good processes in place set some you know, standards that, that you hope they can uphold, but then you kind of have to let, let them, you know, get their reps in, if you will. Nice. So when I think of your path, kind of like summarizing here, uh, great experience. And I think great advice in terms of uh, evangelizing for starting at an agency, then you moved on to in-house. What's in your mind, the next stop on your career path? Any thoughts to that yet or too soon? I don't know. That's, that's a good question. I don't, I don't have, I don't have that figured out. I mean, what, what's funny is I, I used to think that like everything was so linear, right? Like you get a job and you work your way up. So of course, like my angle had to be, I had either had to be a CMO or CEO, or I had to go yeah. start my own thing for so long. I always felt like that was what you had to strive for. And I think now I think, you know, having a family and, and I have three kids and all that, I, I think you learn like, God, I just want to be really excited to go to work every day. And and I just want to keep that passion. Like I look back on that passion I had those early days of social media. I definitely have like an obsessive personality. Like right now, for example, I'm like going deep on, on NFTs and like NBA top shot, which is a whole other, whole other conversation. But um, that I still want to have that passion that I'm excited that every day that I know I'm going to come and maybe work on something new or just have something that, that is going to be great. And I'm going to end that day and be like, wow, like I felt like I accomplished something now. No one, I'm sorry, I've never met anyone that loves 100% of your job, right? You have to take some good with the bad, right? Like, for example, like, I don't love doing reporting all the time and things like that. I'd much rather, like, be up thinking about, like, the strategy and the vision and, and what's, like, the innovation. But you, you have to take with the good with the bad. So I just want to, you know, keep progressing in a career, whether it's at Comcast or elsewhere. I'm just, I'm just excited about what I'm working on. I feel like it's, it's changing enough at a, at a rapid pace that um, it could sustain sort of my day-to-day my -day passion. Yeah, I mean, we talk about you know, the, the career factors a lot in, in our content and, and, and that changes from time to time. And if you, if you stay true to those, then you, you stay true to what it is that's going to get you out of bed every day and, and, and happy when you go to bed at night. And that kind of sometimes is independent of where, where that is, you know, agency, in-house, what have you, but great stuff, great tips. I love the, um, again, I love your background because of the, you, you really did a, a lot of good things in the agency world 
and and you're doing a lot of great things uh, in-house too. Uh, and then let's see where that takes you next. So that's the career path for Justin. I'm going to take a quick break here and then we'll come back and dive a little bit deeper into what is the day in the life inside of Comcast in a role in media strategy and planning. We'll be right back. Now, this episode of the Marketing Careers Podcast is sponsored by Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. Now, as marketers, we know that knowledge is power when it comes to finding ways to, to grow your business. And every marketer has their favorite tool to get that intelligence, to get the insight, but it often comes with that hefty uh, or confusing pricing model. Now, if you're a marketer, you've heard of the tool, the SEO tool, Ahrefs, right? But you, did you know that they now offer access to their main site research products for free? All you need to do is go to hrefs.com slash AWT, and you can access all the power of their site audit and site explorer tools for nothing, for free. So uh, there's even a great walkthrough video when you get there. I'll walk you through and tell you how to get started in, in minutes. Now, listen, this tool goes way beyond what you can get in Google Search Console, and you're unlocking insights for your site that will help you be successful, be more competitive. And listen, the Ahrefs Webmaster Tools aren't just for the SEO team, right? So the content marketing team are going to use this tool to find the right trending topics, key terms, understand how to drive more traffic of the right traffic to your web content. Social media teams can identify which content is actually getting the most earned media and engagement. So, hey, the marketing manager, right? It's time to empower your teams. Let them start making more strategic decisions with Ahrefs for free. And remember, listen, Ahrefs, you don't have to be an SEO pro to rank higher and get more of the right traffic. So get started right now at hrefs.com forward slash AWT. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash AWT. Now let's get back to the episode. All right, and we're back with Justin Silva from Comcast, who currently runs up the, or is part of the media strategy planning department. So Justin, real quick, let's start this section by in three sentences or less. Tell us, what is your job description? Ooh. Um, so I, I oversee our, um, I see the, I oversee the Xfinity paid social media portfolio. Um, and I also work on our partnerships and content programs from a media side. Got it. So when you, you know, wake up to tackle the week, when you look at Monday through Friday, what is it that is on your calendar? And like, what are you doing? And every, it depends every week. I know that. But in terms of if you had to summarize and, and generalize a given week in your role, what's it look like? Uh, well, so one, there's not many <laughs> not many free blocks on my calendar. Um, <laughs> that that myth on the client side of a lot of meetings is, is definitely true, unfortunately. But we're, we're trying to combat that. Um, so a lot of my week, what what's interesting is that I always think that like, a large chunk of my week, it feels like I'm dealing with like, what's that thing right in front of you? Like, what's that fire like today, tomorrow? Maybe it's like Monday. It's like a Wednesday, Thursday thing. But then I like to make sure I'm, I'm always carving out some of my week to think about things that are three, six months away, maybe even a year. So mm. for me, that comes to life in that I love talking to partners. So whether it's social platforms or digital partners or content providers, you know, where I actually have a, a constant roster of people we're working with, but I always love to talk to new ones. So while I'm trying to, you know, go through the fires day to day and, and think about it, I like to maintain a close relationship with all of our social partners. I'm talking to them about stuff and new partners thinking about, you know, clubhouse, is that going to be a thing for us six months from now? Yeah. TikTok, we were talking about, you know, over a year ago at, at this point, even though we're still not on there, just 
So it's it's keeping um, it's sort of keeping it burning at both sides. Um, yeah. But it's a lot of meetings. So I would say the biggest thing is you have to manage your own time. Like you have to be the one to to say no to decline. Um, and that's hard at first. Like when you when you start, especially coming from the agency side, you just feel like God, I, I got to accept everything. Everything's important. Um, right it's it's hard to shed that like mentality of like the client's always right right you start like hold on i like i am the client for for a second i'm not i'm not always right unfortunately um so a, a lot of, i mean a lot of it's time management energy management you know being a dad um you know wife and kids at home like you know try i try to protect my calendar in the morning to try to get things done knowing that especially in the covid world come afternoon um it might be a little bit harder to concentrate with with things going on so a lot of it is managing your time and just managing your priorities. So, I mean, you speak a lot to the, uh, you know, percent of your times in the business, those, those near-term fires, and then percent of your, your time is on the business, which is thinking three, six months out, who, who should I be talking to? Is there a percent that is focused on developing your team? Yeah. I mean, as a manager, I always, um, I always like to have at least one, you know, one-on-one meeting with, with anyone that reports to me a week, but especially now being virtual, I mean, constant check-ins. I mean, um, what's funny. So we, we use Microsoft teams and, um, I think it's been even better than in person because now it forces me where like serendipitously you might run into people in the hall at work, but now, because you have to make that conscious effort, I feel like I'm, I'm going out of my way to like chat certain people, making sure like I'm at least talking to them once or twice a day or just easier to reach out and, and things like that. But, um, Again, no one's going to make time for that. You have to make sure that, that you're making it a priority. Got it. So we, you know, meetings. You're right. I mean, I think everyone can can relate to looking at that calendar and seeing nothing but the color scheme. Uh, how many meetings do you think right now you could cancel tomorrow that you really don't need to be? <laughs> oh man. No, no offense, uh, to anyone listening, but yeah. <clears throat> Sadly, probably a decent amount. I mean, we we okay. talk about it all the time. Um, you know, like things like this shouldn't have been a meeting. This could have been an email or this could have been a, a Slack chat, whatever your, your company uses, things like that. Um, what, what's hard is, you know, one lesson I think I've learned, I think this is especially true on the client side because there's just a lot of people, right? A big company, these big conglomerates, billions of dollars. Um, if you're confident and you're willing to make a decision, I feel like so many meetings, you come together because you want to just like discuss it more. You want to like talk through scenarios. If there's someone that's willing to say like, hey, this is the path forward. I'm willing to make the decision. I'm willing to put my name to it. Like, let's move forward. You just get to the point where like, I'm sick of talking about it. I'm sick of like strategizing, strategizing about it. Like, let's just move forward. I think that itself would probably kill a lot of meetings. That and just like, honestly, having an agenda. Because so many times you like start a meeting, it's like, well, what are we here to talk about? And then you get people that feel they're like, well, like it's a 30 minute meeting. So you feel like you have to fill up 30 minutes of time. So we, we really tried recently to do 30 minute meetings are now supposed to be 20 hour meetings are supposed to be like 45. And even that helps because it helps you focus. But this idea that like, if you call a meeting, you have to use up every second that that just kills me in, in the workplace. Well, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, maybe something to consider is that as a team, if you're having a lot of meetings and if you can all align and, you know, get HR involved or whoever needs to be and that, if you're able to cut meetings short, still have action items and still have value from the meeting, for every minute you cut it short is a dollar that's donated to a, a charity of choice by the Ooh. company. So there's incentive to show up ready to go um, and, and get excited to get done early, but get excited to get done early and still have value to the, to the, uh, to the meeting. Now, obviously there needs to be a stakeholder per meeting, but I mean, think about that as a, as an opportunity to get everybody aligned 
especially in this world where it's all about the meeting, the quick meeting, whatever it is. But I mean, I remember, you know, looking at my calendar and back when I was running a marketing team, it was where I find time to think, uh, where I find time uh, for myself, where I find time for my team that isn't necessarily the the one-on-one meeting, which is a time to help an individual. But what about me addressing the team? Is there part of those meetings is one of those meetings, a, a strategic team, a st- sorry, a strategic team meeting where you talk about collectively the next two to four months? Yeah, we, um, the, the greater team on, we, we definitely try to meet, um, we meet a few times a week. I always feel like one of them, we're always trying to, again, not talk about the fires. It's so easy to consume by those. And, and that's, what's hard is that, you know, um, there's always going to be something that's going to be urgent, um, but maybe it's not important. A lot of times the important things necessarily aren't urgent. So they don't, they don't get your time. So that's where, um, unfortunately, um, you know, much of probably the sugar in my wife is that when I truly do that deep thinking, I always feel like that comes outside of like the normal work hours. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely a morning person back when we went to an office. Like I loved, I would try to maybe like once or twice a week, probably get in at like seven to seven thirty, a good, like two hours before, like I would say like the masses are truly there. Mm-hmm. Cause that's where I could just like sit at my desk. I know like no new emails are probably coming at that time. I'm just going to work on like one task. Mm-hmm. Whether that's like my goals for the year or think about, you know, how are we going to evolve our investment in Snapchat over the next year? Or just like, how are we thinking about the social ecosystem going forward? I, unfortunately to me, like those things probably have to happen outside of a nine to five. Cause even if you try to block the time, just sitting at your computer and we had an office, people stopping at your desk or now again, like people are going to message you, whatever. Um, I always just love to kind of like clear the mind if you will. And um, you know, just, just take a few times because N- nothing groundbreaking is going to happen in like that five minutes in between like your, your last meeting, and your next meeting. Like yeah. that's not when like the million dollar ideas happen. That's not when like the aha moments. And I, I you know, I, m- I miss like community on the train. I feel like that was, even though I tried to like decompress, I'd be like, when you're just like, you know, casually listening to, to, to music, that's when maybe you, you could come up with like the next big thing or something maybe um, presents itself. So it's, it's hard. You really have to carve out those moments for yourself. Got it. So um, you talk about having a team. And everyone at some point who's managing a team had to do it once for the first time. So if you think back to the the time when you were first made a manager, congratulations, you now have somebody who reports to you and you're responsible for them. I mean, and you've been doing it for years now. So what's the tip to those that are, you know, anxious and really want to be a manager? What can you tell them to expect? And what are tips for them once they end up getting that person who is a direct report? Yeah, my first thing is I always want to make it clear to a direct report that I would never ask them to do something I haven't done myself. I wouldn't be willing to do myself. So that's that sort of started when, again, I was at Archer, I was doing all the Wawa stuff. So I'd be like, listen, I know this task, whatever it is, might suck, but like I did it. I, I did it by myself. So, and I, I, you don't, I don't use that as like a throw it in their face, but just like mm-hmm. as tough as something is, like if you weren't here, I probably would be doing it myself. Right. So, um, that, that's my sort of first thing. And then my second thing is, is I hate, I hate micromanaging. I don't want to micromanage. I don't want to be micromanaged. So I'm always trying to give people autonomy. So when I'm interviewing people, I even ask them one of my questions. I say like, give me an example of a time you took initiative and sort of what came out of that. Cause I, I want to know, like, I, I don't want someone to be sitting waiting around for me to tell them what to do again in this COVID environment, especially in this, like, I can't see what you're doing and, you know, I, I don't want to babysit anyone. So I think um, not micromanaging people, trusting them that that you hired them for a reason that they could do a good job um, and just and letting them sort of do their thing. Nice. 
So when you look back to your journey, I mean, again, what I heard you talking about, hey, there's something happening in social. I want to align myself with it. I want to become an expert in it, which is interesting because the cycle is happening again where it still is within social, but now it's new new vehicles, new apps, new tools. Um, what are the skills you think somebody who's looking to pursue uh, a career in social media, think of now into the next you know, three to five years, what are the need to have skills? What are the nice to have skills? Yeah, I would say so. One big thing that I'm still working on is that um, analytical skills are, are so important. I feel like I look back at at um, some of my classes in, in college, not enough, not enough things taught, and just like how to how to use Excel, you know, like yeah. things like V lookups and formulas and pivot tables and and just knowing how to do that, but then taking data and telling a story with it. I think, you know, everyone at this point, you know, uses social media. So there's no like, oh, well, I'm just like so good at knowing how to do this on Instagram. Like that, that's, that's not a skill, right? Just, you know, my mom knows how to use Instagram <laughs> at this point, right? So to me, it's how do you, how do you take um, data and numbers and then tell a cohesive story? I think that's, I mean, to me, that's like, that's what marketing is at this point. Um, you need to be able to have objectives. How do you obtain them? But then it's obviously going to shoot out some sort of sort of output and things with social is that it's all for the most part it's all public right all these things comments shares um you know you might run a media campaign obviously that some of that info wouldn't be public it's like how do you then take all this information and then present that to senior leadership to tell them yes or no did this work i would say that was the knock on the first let's call it 10 years of social of like what is the roi of this like do we know if this works like i don't know and, and quite frankly i didn't know early on either right just kind of just like went with it it's like yeah get get as many fans as you possibly can go nuts. And it's like looking back on that stuff now, it's like, wow. But I think now it's sort of in like the social world 2.0, if you will. I mean, I, I don't view social out on an Island. I view it just as a, any other marketing channel and you need to be able to speak with it like that. So I think my mindset very much was specialized years ago. I, I would tell someone like you could have a passion for um, social, but you need to know how it fits in that broadening broader marketing mix. So I, I don't think you're, going to be able to survive as much in, in today's environment. Right. I, I love that because, and you've seen it because you, you've hired folks in these roles, but the worst thing somebody can do in a marketing role is present data and say, yep, we increased our engagement rate by X and that's it. Because there's so much more behind that, as you know, because of all the influential factors with all the channels and how they play together, that it's what happened, why, and what next is kind of the, you know, kind of the holy grail of reporting. Um, so I, I agree 100%. And we had James Core talking in his his interview about analytics and the importance of the storytelling because most clients really don't know what they're looking at, uh, or they only see two dimensions when there's, you know, three dimensions of of what impacts, you know, a marketing campaign. Um, so so think about again, you know, somebody looking to navigate this path, and there there are the obvious resources in terms of getting smarter finger on the pulse, what's going on. Are there any key resources you would point somebody to that says, hey, I, I just want to get more connected to social media or strategy or planning? Where would you send them? It's a good question. I tap into a lot of um, industry stuff. So the, um, the ANA, so the Association of National Advertisers, they put out a lot of good newsletters. I, I go there a lot. Um, they have a daily newsletter during the week. That's a lot of like nitty gritty, like some good examples of, of things going on in the marketplace. Other than that, I try to just stay on top of like, what are the broader trends? Like something like um, Ad Age is really great. Wall Street Journal has a CMO Today newsletter. 
I would say in the pandemic, I've become like obsessed with, with email newsletters. It's just yep. so easy to just have the news come to you. I would say what I used to go to Twitter for and, and have Twitter lists per se. Um, now I just love email newsletters. So I probably subscribe to way too many, but things like that, even just like morning brew, like as a marketer to me, like you need to know what's not going on, even just like within your, your industry, your sector, but to be a marketer is to connect with human beings, right. At its core to sell them something. So you need to know what's going on. So I'm not saying you need to know like every like in and out of like every political thing or like, you know, geopolitical battle, but at a broad sense, like socially entertainment wise, the zeitgeist, like you need to know what's going on. So things like the morning brew, I feel like are great just to understand, you know, quickly in a five minutes a day, five, 10 minutes a day. Um, I would say I start every morning, I kind of go through, you know, whatever newsletters come in overnight. And then usually during my lunch break, and then maybe to end the day, I'll circle back um, to some, but I just have a good helping of, of everything just to make sure you have the full spectrum. Love it. And we'll share a couple of those in the show notes because uh, the advice I give when, when marketers are interviewing, uh, it's, it, it's, it's what's different in a marketing interview versus others is that something may have changed between the hour you went to bed and the hour you woke up that could give you an advantage in the conversation because of the Facebook outage, the Google update, um, the acquisition, the, the, whatever it is that you can't not be on top of what's going on. So we'll share those resources. Everyone's got to have a good one. Everyone's got to have one, a go-to, uh, so you're not missing out on anything. So <clears throat> um, when you look back on your mom giving you the wake-up call of getting a job and all the way through to the role at Comcast now, if you had to pinpoint your, your most pivotal career moment, what would it be? Ooh, um, I, I would say when, when I made that choice, I was ready to leave the agency side and, and go the client side. Cause it was definitely, it wasn't like I wasn't looking and that Comcast offer just fell into my lap. I had sort of months before made that decision, um, talking with my wife of like, Hey, like, I think I'm just ready for the next thing. Um, that to me had, has been important. I think everyone sort of probably wrangles with that decision. Some people might be like, Hey, like I want to stay on the agency side forever. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not saying that's not a good path. I'm perfectly fine with that. I don't think where my life was at that point and where my life is now, I don't think I could personally have survived on that sort of still going up. Um, ho- hopefully, you know, levels there. So I would say that, that, that is a big instance, but I'm, I still say that everyone in marketing should start at an agency. I look now people I work with um, and the vast majority do come from agencies, but to me, it's important because your agency is so important to your day-to-day business and how, how you get things done and, and how, how you move the business forward that you need to know how to manage resources, manage their time, have some empathy, understand what you're asking them to do, knowing how long that takes, how they have to balance a million things, how they probably, you know, might get hit with a Friday request that you need on a Monday morning. The fact that you've been there and you've sat in that seat, I feel like goes goes a long way. So I, I value that time I spent at the agency very, very much. I think it does make a, a more well-rounded marketer to understand what it's like to have spent time, a couple tour duties at various places on the agency side. I agree 100%. Um, so Justin, somebody wants to continue a conversation about social media or what's going on, or maybe that open role that you have, where's the best place that they can connect with you? Yeah, so my personal brand, <laughs> which which maybe I don't spend as much time as I, I used to on it, um, Justin J. Silva. So you could find me on LinkedIn at that or, or Twitter would probably be the best place. LinkedIn, Twitter, I will share those uh, links in the show notes, plus some of those resources. 
but Justin, appreciate it. A lot of great insights here. I think a lot of great takeaways for anybody who's looking to get into the, the field of social media, uh, strategy planning agency in-house, all good stuff. I really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck uh, at Comcast. Thank you so much. Cross us off my bucket list. Nice. All right. Big thanks to Justin Silva for joining us on this episode of the Marketing Careers Podcast. Such a great career path for Justin so far. A couple things I heard from him that are worth repeating. First, his advice on being your own champion when it comes to getting promoted, making a name for yourself in your current role. Uh, ask yourself, how can you do that today in your role? The other thing I heard was, you know, just summarizing how Justin actually secured the, the last three jobs in his career. Uh, developed a plan, leveraged his network, showed his work. Um, so he had exact details of, of work he's actually done. And his preparation for interviews sounds pretty solid, right? So how can you implement those things if you're looking for a marketing job? So remember to check the show notes for ways to connect with Justin and link to some other great marketing career resources. Don't want to miss those. And if you have any questions about anything tied to your marketing career, looking for a new job, uh, prepare for interviews, anything, send us an email at connect at themarketinghelp.co. Again, connect at themarketinghelp.co. And until next time, this is your host, Eric Harbison. And remember, today's a great day to start advancing your marketing career.